Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast channel for Impact Student Ministries, which is based out of Eubank Baptist Church in Eubank, Kentucky. We are all about discovering who Jesus is, discovering His purpose for us, and inviting others to do the same. We would love for you to join us on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. This podcast is a place where you can catch up on past conversations from our Wednesday night worship experiences. To stay connected, you can follow us on Instagram at EubankBCYouth, all one word, and on Facebook at Impact Student Ministries-EubankBC. Thank you for being part of the conversation, and let's keep discovering who Jesus is together. Thank you, Jay, for praying for us. Hey, if you give to that Compassion Child, thank you so much for doing that. Um, we don't force you to, um, but it's really cool to see students like you guys come together uh, because we know that we're not on this planet for us. We're on this planet for other people and for other people to see who Jesus is. And uh, so thank you all for doing that and keep doing that. Um, hey, I said it before, but I'm so glad to be back at church. You, what about you guys? Like, I missed you guys really, really bad. Um, but uh, we're all healthy. Uh, there's no more snow out there, so we're back. And, uh, man, we're just really glad to be here. Uh, listen, this is the most important part of our night, and this is the most important part of every night that we get together because this is the moment uh, where we open God's Word and we allow Him to speak to us because here's the reality. Um, we are here not to uh, glorify me or Becca. Uh, we're not here to glorify a church or a church name. We're here to glorify Jesus, and we're, and we're here uh, to let God speak to us in the exact way that He needs to. Um, so hey, if you are on our Bible crew tonight, uh, take a few moments, go in the back, um, pass out Bibles to our friends that we have here um, in our student space. And while they're doing that, let me tell you two things that I want every single person to know and understand. Uh, one, listen, we are so excited that you are here with us tonight. Uh, whether you're here in person uh, or you're on our Instagram live or maybe you're checking this out on our podcast channel, if you are here in any way or capacity, listen, we are so excited that you are here tonight. And we consider your uh, decision to be here as a gift, and we want to honor that um, in the best way that we can. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is this. Nothing that I say is majorly important, but everything that God has said and will say is majorly important. In other words, whatever I can say, it is garbage compared to what God has already said and what God plans to say. Uh, so we want you to know, this is why we pass out Bibles every single week, because we want people who are in our student space to have a firsthand experience with the living Word of God. It says that it is living, which means that every time it's opened, every time that someone puts their eyes to His Word, God speaks every single time. And so we, uh, we do this every week, so we want people to know who Jesus is and how much He loves them. So once you have a Bible in your hands, uh, start making your way to what book of the Bible? Can you guess? Say it louder, Decker. Nehemiah, right? So we're going we're, we're gonna to continue tonight in our series, uh, and we're going to walk through the book of Nehemiah. So uh, once you have a Bible in your hands, make your way to the book of Nehemiah as we begin there uh, tonight. If you're using one of our Bibles here in the student space, you can find that on page 476, 
page 476. Now, if you're using a different Bible, don't know what page it's on. Uh, you're kind of on your own there, but um, I can tell you it's right after the book of Ezra. Um, and so uh, make your way to the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to spend our time together tonight uh, walking through the first chapter um, of Nehemiah. And in case you're freaked out because I said a whole chapter, don't worry, there's only 11 verses in this chapter. So we're not going to spend time with 30 plus verses. It's only 11 verses, so don't, so don't worry. Uh, but we're going to walk through chapter 1 tonight. And if you were with us a few weeks ago, uh, when we started this series, we, we started off by establishing what this wall uh, was meant to do. We said that the wall was meant to strengthen, uh, was meant to distinguish. Um, it was meant to help the people who were God's people be just that, be God's people. And so uh, tonight we're going to walk through uh, chapter 1. And uh, before we do that, I want to do something a little different. I want to go ahead and give you right now, give you all three of the, the points, takeaways, considerations, um, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I, and, and I, I want to give them to you. Now, don't freak out. Don't freak out if you don't get them all on paper. It's okay because we're going to go back to them uh, tonight. But I just want to lay for you just, just be upfront about what we're going to be doing, what, what we're going to be doing tonight. So here are the three questions, the three uh, considerations for us tonight in Nehemiah chapter one. It's this right here. Number one, does my heart break for the things that break God's heart? Does my heart break for the things that, that, breaks, that break God's heart? Number two, am I willing to own my mistakes? Am I willing to own my mistakes? Number three is this, am I willing to pray for what needs to happen? Am I willing to pray, not for what I want, but, but for what needs to happen? Now, as we walk through chapter one tonight, we're going to see Nehemiah who's the author of the book, who, who is the person, the main character in this, in, in, in this book. We're going to see Nehemiah come uh, face-to-face really with these three questions. And then we're going to talk about what, what it means for us. Because I, I have to believe that, that every time we open God's Word, there's a part of us that, that says or thinks, well, what's, what, what's in this for me, right? If, if I'm going to take time every day to open God's Word to read it, what is there for me? What, what can I take away from it? So we're going to talk about that tonight. So before we start to really unpack these three questions, let's read through uh, chapter one of Nehemiah, and then we'll go back and we will uh, work our way through it. So Nehemiah chapter one, it says this, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekilah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant who had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant as praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. 
I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Verse 8, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Verse 11, let, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. So before we uh, start to dive into our questions, let's go ahead and establish the context here. Let's, let's go ahead and just lay out uh, what we're walking into as we come into the book of Nehemiah, the first chapter. Now, if you were to go uh, back and read through the book of Ezra, which is right before Nehemiah, you would see and read about a man named Ezra who brought a group of people back to their homeland. Now, when he arrived, he noticed something. He noticed that things were not as they were supposed to be. You ever seen that before? You walk in a situation, you're like, wait a minute, something's not right here. Something's a little off of how it should be. And so Ezra walks in this, he sees, he sees that things are not as they're supposed to be. The people, uh, they were being drawn away from God by the people around them. God's people were being influenced by the culture and its people rather than influencing the culture and the people. They're being led away from the one true God by people who are worshiping fake gods. And if you think about it, it, it's really interesting to see that things have not really changed today. That if you look at uh, Christianity and you look at Christians, it's, it's, really, it's really easy to see us drift towards what culture says is right, what culture says is true, what culture says is, is, is the most important thing. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, Aaron, listen, at least we don't have giant idols or statues. We don't, we don't have these golden bronze statues in our homes. and It's not in our front yard or our front porch. I mean, we have maybe some, some birds or an owl or some wind chimes, but like, I mean, this is not idols, right? So like, we're, we're not as, as bad as they were off in the book of Nehemiah. You're right about that. Um, no one that I know has a giant golden statue of themselves in their front yard. Maybe there's someone like that. If there is, we'll, we'll pray for them. Um, but most people don't have a giant statue or golden um, idol in their front yard. But let me ask you this. How many idols have lived or currently are living in your heart right now? One. For most people, there's a lot of idols that kind of live in their heart, right? Because here's the thing. It's possible to build idols with both our hands and our heart. So we can say, listen, Aaron, we don't have these giant statues or these giant idols in our front yards, but how many times have you let something else take the place of God in your heart? How, how many times have you let what you want to do, play Xbox, uh, play uh, with your friends, um, watch a movie, uh, scroll through social media. How, how, many times, how, 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 many, how many times has that taken priority over you being in God's Word? 
How many times has that taken priority over you spending time in prayer? How many times has something else during church time taken more of a priority for your life? And you say, you know what, tonight church is out, this thing's in. If that's you, which if we're going to be honest, all of us have been there before, you've had an idol in your heart. You've had an idol that has taken the place of God. So yeah, we don't have idols that are in front of us or in our front, in our, in our front yards, but we have idols in our hearts. So throughout the book of Ezra, uh, you see him walk alongside the people, and he's encouraging them. He's, 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 he's encouraging them to keep going, to stay strong, to, to rebuild the temple. And then 14 years later, uh, we see Nehemiah come onto the picture. So 14 years later, you would think, well, okay, 14 years later, surely, goodness, they'll be different, right? Surely it's like 14 years, things will be a little better than it was. Well, I come to find out, things hadn't changed in 14 years. Yeah, the temple was, was rebuilt, but the people were still being like the people around them. So now that we've established the context of Nehemiah and kind of what we're walking into, let's go ahead and start unpacking this first question for us tonight. Number one is this, does my heart break for the things that break God's heart? Does my heart break for the things that break God's heart? So go back with me to verses 1 through 4 for a moment. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekalah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in Sedel Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So pause there for, for a moment. Um, as Nehemiah is going through his day, he uh, decides to meet up with some old buddies of his uh, that were from his home. Um, and he says, hey, man, hey, how are things going at home? How, how are things uh, back with our people? How, how, how are things going? And he's given some news uh, about his people, about his homeland, that sends Nehemiah into what, what we would call a depression. He gets this news, and all of a sudden, just like that, his demeanor changes. All of a sudden, his mindset changes. All of a sudden, he is just hit with a bag of bricks. And if you read uh, really closely into this, you see just how heavy that, that depression uh, gets in verse 4. God's word says that Nehemiah wept, mourned, fasted, and prayed. Now, now listen, this is, not, uh, this, this is not just he simply cried or shed a tear here. And then, like, like he ugly cried when he heard about how things were. He cried so much that it took everything. Like he, he, he spent everything in him. When he heard about how things were, and we see that these, uh, these things didn't just happen in, in one day or one moment, but in fact, it says for some days. So like this, this lasted a little bit. This wasn't just a five-minute cry spell and then he was over. No, this lasted for days that he was weeping. He was mourning. So to put this in a language that, that may be more familiar to us, Nehemiah was wrecked when he heard how bad things had gotten. I think all of us know what it's like to be wrecked by some news that you get. 
A lot of us know what it's like to get a phone call saying that your loved one isn't here anymore. A lot of us know what it's like to get a phone call to say, hey, listen, your job's done. You're let go. A lot of us know what it's like to get that text saying, hey, listen, you will not believe what they're saying about you. We know what it's like to, to see that post on social media and think, man, what is going on? So we all know what it's like to get wrecked by news that we're given. But why is this significant? You see, Nehemiah knew that things he heard did not represent or communicate God's purpose and intention for his people. You see, God's purpose and intention for his people has not changed from the, from the, verse, from the, from the first verse in Genesis to the last verse in Revelation. His purpose, his intention has not changed from day zero to day 24 of January 2024. His purpose has not changed for you. His intention for your life, his hope, his dream, his, his, his goal for your life has not changed at all. God's purpose and intention is that every person would know him personally and proclaim him publicly. This looks like complete submission and obedience in every day that he gives you. So every day that God gives you a new day, more breath in your lungs, more hearts, more, more beats in your heart. He gives that to you so that you would know him personally and proclaim him publicly. And in fact, in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, we, we see this. In, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, Then he said to, said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Don't miss that. Don't miss what he says. He says, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to be someone that is known as a Jesus freak, as a Jesus fanatic, as a Jesus follower, it's going to require you to every single day before you walk out your house, before you get out of your car, to say, I'm dead to myself so I can be alive to Jesus. That's what it takes to be a disciple. That's what it takes to be a real follower of Jesus. You see, I have to believe that Nehemiah knew the old writings and the stories that have been passed down from generations that shared God's heart for his people to be set apart and to be different. So for a moment, let's, let's just talk about what this means for us in 2024. I want to bring up a question that uh, I brought up last week, or two weeks ago, when we had church. What is your response when you see or hear about things that don't align with God's word? When you see things or hear things or watch things that, that don't align with God's word, what, what's your response? What, what does that do inside of you? When you see something that God's word says that, hey, listen, this is not okay, this is a sin, this is not how it's supposed to be, what's your response? Does it stir something up in you? Do you get uncomfortable? Or you just, just struggle up and say, well, you know what? Eh, not my problem, not my thing. I'm going I'm, I'm to stay over here, and, and that, that, that's their thing, that, that's their struggle, and you know what, I have my own thing, so like, I, I just... I just can't get involved with that. 
When someone chooses to give their heart to God through a relationship with Jesus, they choose to to die to themselves spiritually so that they can live spiritually through Jesus. Again, Luke said that this happens, what, weekly? Did it say weekly? Did it say monthly? What about yearly? What about once a year? What about during Christmas or Easter? You're all sold out, but then like every other day you're like, ah, okay, I'm going to kind of drift back into the, into the shadows of Christianity. What's it say? What's it say? Come on, y'all. Y'all been gone for two weeks now. What's it say? Thank you. All right. It says daily, right? So daily, we, we are meant to die to ourselves to say, it's not about me. It's not what I want. It's not about my goals. It's not about my dreams. It's about what Jesus wants through me. So in other words, we, we choose to die to self so that we can embrace the benefits of his death and resurrection. In other words, we allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that they can work in us, move things in us, but then work through us. I believe that God's word says it really, really clear in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. It says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So if you want to know if you live by the flesh or Spirit, pay attention to what you, to what you care about. Pay attention to what, to what you focus on. Paul says that that if we live by the Spirit, the Spirit will govern what we do. The Spirit will tell us what is important, what to do, how to respond to certain things. You see, a lot of people inside and outside, or outside and inside the church have gotten really comfortable with sin. We don't talk about it. We avoid it. We just kind of justify it, saying, well, it's it's just a bad habit, Aaron. It's it's, it's just a bad habit. I can't help it. I'm, I'm human. I make mistakes. Like, it's just, I don't do it a lot, but just every once in a while to kind of get, you know, less stressed out and whatever. So we, we've gotten comfortable with sin. And what the Bible tells us is that if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, if you have that relationship, then sin should make you uncomfortable. Sin should be something that, that you avoid at all cost. But a lot of us, if we're being honest, and I'll be the first one to admit there have been times that I've invited sin into my life. <laughs> There's been times where I've said, you know what? Come on. There's been times where I've chosen to watch things, do things, say things that I know aren't true, but yet it's easier to say, do, believe, watch, whatever you want to, whatever your thing is. And, 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 and maybe you're listening to this conversation, and if you were to be honest, you, you would say that you've gotten comfortable with sin. Maybe there's something in your life right now that like, no one knows about. It's a secret. You, you keep it hidden, but when it's just you, when it, when it's just you by yourself, you know how, how destructive it is. Maybe if you're honest, you'd say, you know what, Aaron? Yeah, there's some things in my life that I've gotten way too comfortable with. There's some things in my life that, I've, that I have let myself get comfortable with that I know is not helping me. Listen, God, God nothing God created was meant to harm us. But yet somehow we allow what God has created to harm us. You know why? Because we get in the way. Like, I wouldn't go here, but I'm just going to say it. Like for the past several years, sex is this big thing with students, right? Sex is this huge thing. It's, it's this awkward thing no one wants to talk about, but let's kind of, kind of be real with you. 
Sex is good. Sex is great. When God created it and ordained it in marriage, it was meant to be great. It was meant to be awesome. But when it's had outside of marriage, that's when the issues happen. That's when the problems start. But yet, we've, we've believed this lie that, well, if we don't cross the line, it's okay. If I get as close as I can to that line but don't cross it, it's, 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 it's okay, I'm good. I'm not sending the ultimate sin, right? But the Bible's clear. Any form of sex is meant to be within marriage, and that's it. So we've gotten really comfortable with sin. And the Bible's clear. Sin is not supposed to be a fun thing. Sin is not meant to be something that you go back to again and again and again. You know why? Because every time you go back to sin, it takes something from you. It takes your life away from you. Because no one that I know have said, man, Aaron, I am so glad that I got into sin. Aaron, I'm so glad that secretly I watch things that I shouldn't watch. Aaron, I'm so glad that the things that I've chosen to say yes to that I know aren't godly, I'm so glad of the person I've become, of that. I've, I've become because of that. I've never heard someone say that. Adults, have y'all heard anyone say that? In fact, I've heard, I've heard people say, listen, Aaron, I, I don't know what I was doing back then. Aaron, I don't know why I even got into that. Aaron, I don't even know why I allowed myself to go back to that again and again and again, because all, all I kept doing was I kept chasing it. I wanted more and more and more because it wasn't enough for me. So the Bible is clear. Listen, if, you, if you're here and you're a Christian, you know, you know, you know, you know there's things in your life that you shouldn't be there. The Bible says, hey, listen, confess that to God and, and walk away from it. That's repentance. That's all repentance is. I've missed y'all the past few weeks. <laughs> I've missed preaching, really. So maybe you're hearing you say, you know, Aaron, I, I, I know there's things in my life that, I, that they need to change. I know that. Listen, later tonight, you'll have a chance to change that. You'll, you'll, you'll have a chance to, to actually confess to God, like, God, I know I've messed up. I know, I know I've made mistakes, and I need to just step in. You're going to have your chance with God to, for him to step in and for him to change things, but you have to be willing to do it yourself. We're not going to make you. We're not going to force you. So does, does your heart break for the things that break God's heart? Here's number two. Am I willing to own my mistakes? Am I willing to own my mistakes? Go back with me to Nehemiah. I lost it in my Bible. My page marker came out. <clears throat> but look with me again at verses 5 through 10. And I, and I love these verses. They're, they're, they're so good, but yeah, they're so challenging. Verses 5 to 10 of Nehemiah 1 says this. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We... Have acted, very, have, have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. 
Remember this, the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, the farthest point away, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. So we see this shift happening in, in, in the writing here. We see that it started off by, uh, by seeing how Nehemiah responded, but then it, then it shifts to, to what his response was. Nehemiah knew that his people faced a situation that they could not solve on their own. And this is obvious when you think of how blended they had become to the culture around them if you were to take a really deep look into the, in, into the words great and awesome God in verse 5, you would see that it, that it is Nehemiah's acknowledgement of God's power and his majesty. Again, we can relate to Nehemiah facing a situation that we knew that we could not handle by ourselves. We know what it's like to look at a situation and think, man, how in the world will I get through this? I know for, for, for Becca and I, before Emberlin, we had a miscarriage, and, and I, can, I can tell you so many days, we were like, what, what's the point of trying again? Can, can we even go, like, what if, right? Like, what if it happens again? Like, you ever been that, you ever played that game, that what if game, right? Like, well, what if this, what if that? And all of a sudden, there's so many what ifs, and we're like, what if we have to do this again? What if we have to go through that emotion, go through that moment, go through that experience again and again and again? Listen, there are people who have not just had one miscarriage, but several and I can't imagine doing that. God bless us by giving us Emberlyn, and y'all know how awesome she is. So I can't imagine the strength it takes to go through that again and again. And so Nehemiah is acknowledging God's power, his majesty. And after he recognizes who God is, he recognizes who he is. Essentially, he tells God that, he, that, that Nehemiah messed up. He said, listen, I messed up, so did my parents, and so did my parents' family. We've all messed up, God. And then Nehemiah takes it a step further by not justifying his mistakes, but acknowledging the reality of their situation. So often we, we are quick to justify our mistakes, right? Well, it's, it's not my fault. I can't help it. They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have said that. I, what was I supposed to do, Aaron? They called me out. If I, if, if, if I don't respond back, I'm not a man. I'm, I'm not strong. I'm not like, I need to respond back. And so we justify our mistakes. But here's the reality. A mistake is a mistake. Just like sin is a sin. That's it. There's no other explanation. There's no other possibility. So if you make a mistake, learn from Nehemiah. Own that. Because most of us, we don't have someone forcing us to sin. Most of us don't have someone saying, if you, if you don't sin right now, you don't, know, you don't want to know what's going to happen. Now, most of us choose to walk into sin. So then you might say, listen, God, you, you, you told us this. If, if, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, you would see like all throughout that, cha- all throughout that chapter, Moses says, listen, this is what God says. 
if you're unfaithful to him, he's going to scatter you. If you're unfaithful to not keep his commands, he's going to spread you across the nations. But if you come back to God, no matter how far you are, no matter how far, how, how spread out you are, God can come find you. God can bring you back. And so, so Nehemiah realizes the reality of the situation. So just, just imagine, just imagine the strength Nehemiah had to have to be obedient and writing these words. Again, like these are awesome words, but man, they're challenging to read. Like no one wants to own their mistakes, right? No one wants to say, you know what, guys, you will not believe what I did today. You, you will not believe what happened last night. It was crazy. Like, no one says that. Like, no one comes out and says, listen, I messed up so much, and it was awesome. No one says that. So it, just imagine the strength Nehemiah had to say, listen, you know what, God, yeah, I messed up. But guess what? I, my family messed up, too. It can be easy to read through the Bible and uh, see the people within it as impossible to be like, right? At best, we tell ourselves that it would be nice to be like them to some degree and that one day we, we, we might get there. But at worst, we convince ourselves that God would never use someone like us and that we have too much stuff, too much baggage, too much drama, too much shame, too much guilt, that God would never use someone or even want to know us personally. And maybe you're listening, and that's where you are right now. Maybe you're listening, and you have never thought of yourself as being good enough, valued enough, or seen enough to be used by God. Can I tell you something really, really amazing about the gospel? The gospel is not about God using people who were, who were or are good enough on their own. Gospel is about God using people who weren't or aren't good enough on their own. The gospel is about God using people who were and are able to recognize their need for him. Nehemiah started with God. And if you want to know what, what strength looks like in a relationship with Jesus, it's being able to recognize and admit that you are not enough and will never be enough without Jesus. Do you think that you can get by just enough, be good enough, and to, to come to the end saying, you know what, I'm satisfied with how I live my life, and it doesn't involve Jesus? You will be chasing something that is never going to exist. Because that's the reason why God sent Jesus to the cross. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, we see, we see this. It says, but he said to me, this is Paul writing, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in what? Say it louder. In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when, I'm, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. So again, let's just for a moment look at this from the lens of 2024. 
Again, how often do you see people admit their mistakes and their failures? More often than not, we see the opposite. We see or hear about people who will go to extraordinary lengths and costs to cover their stuff up. They will do whatever they can. They will buy whatever they can. They will say whatever they can to keep their stuff out of the light. They they don't want to lose the influence they have, the friends they have, or the status they have. They don't want to lose what they have because they believe that, well, if if they really knew, if they really knew how bad I really was, if if they really knew that, you know, Sundays and Wednesdays, I'm, 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 I'm a good Christian kid, but man, outside, if they only knew the, the scars and the secrets that I have, if they only knew, man, they would not want to be around me. They, they, I, I would lose everything. Did you know uh, that when it comes to God and letting him in and letting him see your mistakes and your failures, which he already knows about, that we don't lose everything. In fact, we actually gain something. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, when you and I let God in, we choose to be, when we choose to be vulnerable to God, we receive rest that is not just good for your body, but it's good for your soul. Like, it, 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 it hits you deep. Like, God's rest hits you deep. Here's the really cool thing. When we experience the kind of rest that comes from God, we get to experience the kind of movement that comes from God. Just like Nehemiah, we have to start by recognizing and owning our mistakes and need for someone greater than us. And here's the last question for tonight. Number three, am I willing to pray for what needs to happen? This is a tough one. (laughs) Am I willing to pray for what needs to happen? Verse 11 of Nehemiah 1 says this, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of of, of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in reviewing your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. So we learn that Nehemiah, his day job is a cupbearer. His, his, his income, his occupation is a cupbearer. And his position was a testimony to his character. Because you see, a, a cupbearer, they had to be someone who was wise, honest, and trustworthy. They were someone that was in charge of tasting everything that was given to the king. So in case someone wanted to poison the king, take him out, the cupbearer would be the first one out. And so a cupbearer had to be someone that was trustworthy and wise and honest. And the wisdom that Nehemiah lived from went way beyond the way that he went through his day-to-day. That wisdom that he had went way beyond his day-to-day. The wisdom that Nehemiah lived from influenced his spiritual life and the way that he prayed. If you think think about it, when I was thinking about this, a question came to mind. I want to share it with you. What drives my prayer life? What, what drives your prayer life? Why do, you, why do you and I pray? What do we hope to get out of it? Do we, do we pray that we, for, do we, do we pray for what we want or do we pray for what we need? Do we pray for what we want to happen or do we pray for what God wants to happen? Do we, do we pray for, what, for ourselves and self-centered prayers or do we pray Godly prayers. Do we even pray throughout your day? Do you even pray? 
Do you take time intentionally in your morning, afternoon, evening, and pray, and, and even pray outside of the big four, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and bedtime? So do you even pray? If you carefully read through verse 11, you see that Nehemiah prayed a certain way. See, Nehemiah prayed with purpose and intention. He prayed that God would give him favor and success with the king. He didn't pray, God, you know what, I'm really comfortable here. Things are great. I'm like second best of the king, so like, you know, I'll go and talk to him. But like, if you want to, you know, harden his heart, if you just want to say, you know what, give him the influence, say, you know what, Nehemiah, you stay here. I can't afford to lose you. No, he didn't do that. Nehemiah prayed that he would have success and favor in the eyes of the king. And there's two things that I think Nehemiah understood and why he prayed the way that he did. Number one is this. Nehemiah knew that, that true success begins by involving God. Listen, if you don't involve God from the beginning, it won't go nowhere for you. If you don't involve God in the very beginning, you will never get over. You'll never get away from. You'll never heal. You'll, you'll never be restored. You'll never be uh, redeemed. You'll never be anything if you don't start with God. But he also knew that true success is carried by God's involvement. The reason you're, that you're successful, the reason that you can accomplish things and do things and make things is because God has given you the ability to. Every gift, every talent, every skill, every uh, dream, every hope, every, every accomplishment that you can even dream of, it's because God has given that to you. Nehemiah knew that the only person who could give him the ability and resources to go was the king. Imagine how different it would have been if Nehemiah would have prayed differently. Imagine how different it would have been if Nehemiah would have said, you know what, not my problem. I'm here. I'm sitting pretty. I have everything that I want and need. I'm good. I, you know, that, that's their problem. They're, they're back home. I'm here. Like, it, like, How different would the story have been if Nehemiah would have said, you know what, ah, not my problem. I think it's really easy to uh, get our wants and our needs mixed up. It's really easy to, to confuse what we need for what we actually want. We convince ourselves that what needs to be done in us or through us is more than we are able to give and more than we're willing to give. We convince ourselves that where we currently are is better than what God could do. We convince ourselves that whatever God has for us in the future is not as good as it could be right now or is right now. We're often unwilling to pray for what needs to happen. And again, there's a difference between, between praying for what needs to happen and what you want to happen. Again, what, what if Nehemiah would have been like, you know what, listen, again, not my problem. I'm here. They're there. Let, let them figure it out. What would Nehemiah have missed if he had that mindset? So let's, so let's, let's make this a little personal, shall we? Are we missing out on God working in us and through us because we are unwilling to pray for what needs to happen? Are we missing out on God movements? Are we missing out on God accomplishments? Are, are, are we missing out on God doing things through us because we're just not willing to pray the hard prayers? What if the reason we don't experience God is because of us? We, we often think that God is silent. He's not active. He doesn't care. He's not there. No, listen, that is all a lie. God has never left you. God will never leave you. God has never walked away. God has never said, you know what, I'm done with them. 
despite the opportunities we've, we give him, he has never said, I'm done. He's always said, you know what, I'm here waiting for you to realize what you're doing. He's always said, I'm here waiting for you to realize that I'm not here, I haven't left you, and I'm waiting for you to turn back to me. He has never left you. Despite what you feel, think, experience, see, hear, read, are told, God has never left you. Despite what your situation is, will be, or has been, God has never left you. And he never will. And I have to believe that, that God... That God wants to involve us. God wants to use you. God wants to, to get you involved. Because honestly, if, if he didn't, what was the point of sending Jesus to the cross? If God didn't need us, what was the point of saving us and redeeming us and restoring us? Because listen, God can do anything without you. He can do everything without you, but yet he wants to use you. So if he didn't want you, what was the point of Jesus on the cross? Why did he send his son to die for us? And says, you know what? They're on their own. They met the bed. They they met their bed. Their bed like a liner. Can I tell you why we exist as a student ministry? I know I'm going over, but I've missed you guys for two weeks, and I miss I'm, I miss preaching. So here we go. Can, can I tell you why we exist as, as a student ministry? We exist to impact our world for Jesus, and this happens by having a personal relationship with Jesus and proclaiming Him publicly. Maybe you're here, you're online, you're listening to the podcast, you're here in person. And you've never had that defining moment where you have invited Jesus into your heart. You never had that moment where you said, you know what, God, come in and take control. Maybe you've gone to several church services, attended several church events, posted a verse or spiritual quote on your social media every once in a while, or you've owned or even worn Jesus swag, but you've never had that defining moment where you asked him to be your savior. Listen, you can do all the things. You can wear all the things, but if you never ask him to be your savior, none of that matters. It's great to be in church. It's great to go and get involved. It's great to serve. It's great to be surrounded by people who love Jesus. But listen, all that does not save you. What saves you is that relationship. And I can't answer that question for you. So maybe you're here, you're listening, and you know. You know you've played church, but you've never walked into that. You've never asked him into your heart. And I tell you that if that's you, then tonight, listen, that is the only thing to worry about. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about uh, the weather. Don't worry about school tomorrow. Don't worry about anything else but getting it right with Jesus. This, this uh, begins by, by acknowledging and responding to God's gospel. And here's what God's gospel says. It's a belief in who, in who I am. It's a belief in who you are. I am someone that is separated from God because of my sin and failed attempts to completely follow God's word. I'm someone who desperately needs a savior because there is nothing that I can do to save myself. In other words, you can't do anything to get you out of the hole, out of the pit, out of the grave of sin. You can't do anything. But here's what the gospel says about Jesus. He is the living son of God who came to this planet and lived a perfect life from the beginning to the end. He died on a cross in my place and walked out of the grave three days later. I believe that Jesus is a Savior that I desperately need. You don't know Jesus, that's where you gotta start tonight. But maybe you're here and you have that relationship with Jesus. You, you, you ha- you've had that defining moment, but God has placed a burden or a conviction on your heart with the intention of you doing something about it. If you were to be honest, you would say, 
that there is something in your life or something in the lives of the people that you care about most that you know isn't right. You know that something needs to change and you know that God wants you to be involved. God wants to use you. God wants to use you to be to, to speak something, to say something, to do something, to, to be something. If that's you, in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to end. But, here, but here, here's the reality. Just because I say amen and I say you're dismissed, that does not mean that God is done talking to you. That does not mean God is done having a conversation with you. 